Yeah, I've been great. Been great. Been great. Just uh, busy, and I'm glad, you know, we're coming out of this COVID mess and, uh, you know, ready to move forward, for I sure. Hear I hear you. Uh, how uh, how frustrating has it has it been for you? I've been climbing the walls. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, this is, you know, my, my business is microbial disinfection. So this has kind of been our, our little bit of our Super Bowl, so to speak, uh, right. for my business. But uh, I just, what I really hate is um, businesses that have been devastated in life. And, you know, it's really this pandemic. I mean, that's what it is, a pandemic. It's it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So just glad that uh, we're moving forward and glad to see athletics is starting to pick back up again. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward, obviously, you know, to next month or later this month, I should say. Right. For the games, see what that brings. So. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I, um, I was, I was just thinking about what you said about your, uh, your business. So that the Super Bowl for you, does that mean that it just gave you a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of business? It, it did. It did. It opened up a lot of, and when we started, people were like, nobody cares about germs. Are you crazy? Right. Why would you even start something like that? And then all of a sudden now it's like, God, you guys were, you were so far ahead of the things and you, you knew <laughs> like, well, uh, Jared's been here long before we are or, or were, and uh, we'll be here long after we've left. So, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, just glad we had a solution to environmental disinfection. Awesome. Well, Hey, um, Leo, I just want to, uh, thank you for, for taking the time. Um, again, for those of you listening, this is, uh, the, the raise the bar podcast. Uh, my name is Troy Haynes. I'm former high jumper. Um, in in college and low level, <laughs> when I when I talk with people like Leo, I I realize how how low level uh, my jumping was. But um, I'm excited to have uh, Leo. We had a friend of Leo's, Doug Nordquist, was with us a couple weeks ago, and um, we're just getting finally a chance to sit down and talk. So, uh, Leo, I was looking at your bio, and it had a brief mention of uh, high school, and is it in, in Indiana? Correct. Okay, yeah, Muncie, so Indiana. How? What was that like in in high school? What, were you uh, track only, or did you do any other sports? No, I, I played basketball. Uh, our 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 school didn't have any football. I mean, it had, had you know golf, tennis, cross country, track, swimming, and basketball. And of course, Indiana basketball's like you know <laughs> the number one sport in the state. Oh yeah. So. Uh, Everybody, uh, either you played or you, you didn't play. It was kind of one of those things. There was no in between. Right. But um, track was was uh, always a love of mine. My dad was a track athlete, so to speak. And uh, you know, I was I was blessed to go from jumping, you know, five eleven as a as a sophomore to. Uh, six nine as a junior so um kind of opened up my eyes and you know obviously as as you as you mentioned as a high jumper troy i mean you you know what that's like when when you have success like that uh in an individual sport that's part of a team it's just really uh, refreshing you didn't have to rely on anybody it was it was all in your own abilities right i mean the harder you worked the more successful you got it just kind of just you fed off of that and uh that for me was Man, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, yeah, and I, wow, yeah, and I, and I loved it from the standpoint that, um, you know, Indiana was a great place to grow up in. Just absolutely great place. I mean, it's obviously the Midwest, but it's as wholesome as it gets. Um, I went to school with uh, folks that I knew from K through twelve. It was one school. We had forty-four kids in our graduating class, and I think. Probably thirty of us knew each other from the time we were five to eighteen. So, wow, it uh, it was just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, well, um, with uh, six nine now, that that opened some doors for you. Did you win? End up winning state either of those two years, your junior senior year? No, my let me see, my I think my junior year I got eighth in my state. Some guy named Jeff Woodard who went on to become the American record holder won our state that year. 
And then my senior year, I tied for fourth. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a tough state. I mean, uh, I think my, my junior year, Jeff jumped two meters, 16, seven, one. And my senior year, I jumped six, eight in my state meet. And I think the winner jumped, uh, seven feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you said, I'm thinking back to uh, 82, my senior year in the state meet in, in California, I got to jump against uh, Maurice Crumby, who had jumped seven, three or four. And right. uh, uh, John Morris from Cal. Yeah, absolutely. At that time, um, you know, so there was a bunch of people that, you know, when I got there, I was thinking, oh, I'm on fire. I'm going to win this thing. And, you know, the jumpers from up north, we just were unknown to us from the, you know, South part of California. So, Oh, John Morris at Cal. Yeah. I jumped seven, five or six later on. It's like, okay, that explains why it was so tough. <laughs> so I get what you're saying about a, a tough state meet. That's uh, but it's, it's good for you, right? Good competition. There you are. There you are. Yeah. I lost you for a second. Yeah. I think we're, we're kind of zipping in and out here, but that's all right. Um, so, and other sports is basketball, and I'm sure you could dunk a basketball. Um, where did you play much? Were you like a, a starter? Were you on varsity? Uh, I, I wasn't a starter to my senior year, and then my senior year, um, I was all all city. Cool. So, um, you a shooting guard or forward? Where'd you play? No, a center. I was six two and a half, 146 pounds. <laughs> And I was a center. So they stuck you in center. Yeah, I was a center. I mean, you you saw the movie Hoosiers. Yeah. Well, that was us. We we were the we were the small small. I mean, you got to remember, my high school there was only two hundred and fifty kids <laughs> uh, in the school. So yeah, we were teeny tiny, and we went to uh, the sectional finals against uh, perennial state powerhouse Muncie Central. They beat us. They crushed us, but. Um, they went on to win the state that year. So uh, that's our claim to fame. Well, we got eliminated, but we got eliminated by the state champs. <laughs> yeah, it always makes you feel a little bit better, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, just great memories of high school. Um, still lifelong friends from uh, back in Indiana. And um, just just a great bunch of guys. Just a great bunch of guys. That's awesome. So um, the other thing I, I, I knew about you for the longest time was that you were in the Navy. Um, how, did, how did that come about? Were you, was there any family ties to the Navy or just? Um, well, I, I mean, my dad in World War II was, uh, was in the army and I, I had a cousin that was a Lieutenant Colonel in the air force and, and uncles that were in the army, you know, during the war. But, um, what happened my junior year, I had a very good friend that went to one of the other high schools, uh, in the city and he and I were close and he was being recruited, um, by Annapolis. And that was uh, the beginning of our junior year. Yeah. And so uh, he went to see Navy play Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And he said, you should come along. You should come along. He said, coach is going to be there. And, uh, and Benjamin was much better in basketball than I was. I mean, he was, he, he was great when we were probably 12. So uh, I said, yeah, I'll go. You know, my mom said, let's, let's go check it out. We went there. We were talking to the coach, and he said, uh, well, you know, we're, we're very interested in Benjamin. He said, but uh, do you do do you, you play basketball? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, what other sports do you do? I said, well, I'm a high jumper, too. And he said, oh, really? He said, well, how high have you jumped? And I think at that point I jumped like six, 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 seven. And, and this is it going, you know, I hadn't even really got to my junior year of, of, of competition. And he said, you're kidding me. I said, no, no. And so he went back and told the track coach. And from there on, they were recruiting me hard and heavy. And I, you know, I didn't really want to go to the service academies when I first started off. It was just kind of novel. You know, it was kind of nice to have the opportunity to be part of such a select few of great individuals. But I, you know, I, I kind of got that track bug. And so all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking Big Ten, Pac-10. Right. 
might have been pack eight at that time, but pack ten. Right. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, hey, you know, I want to go. I'm from a small town in Indiana. I want to go big time. I want to, I want to get out there, right? And I'll never forget this. My mom said to me, she goes, "Look, young man, she goes, going to one of the service academies is one of the greatest honors you could ever have." They said, you know, folks talk about the Ivy Leagues, Big Ten, Pac-10, whatever, SEC. She said, but if you're half as good, you don't have to be half, just a smidgen as good as you obviously think you are, oh, you'll do fine to service Canada. If you, if you can jump, you can jump just as well there. And I was like, wow. And she said, plus, you know, it's going to set you up for life, whether you stand for as a career with the, with the Navy or Air Force or Marines or Army or you decide to do other things, you've got a platform to work from. And so obviously I love my mom and, you know, it's not like it is with a lot of kids today. When my mom spoke, I listened. Right. Definitely when my dad spoke, I listened. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I had the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy and I took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked back since. It's just it's really been wonderful. I miss nothing. I miss nothing. I, I had a great college life. Um, I competed at the highest levels around the world. Um, yeah, I, I, I miss nothing. It, it was just, I, I think I really had the best of both worlds. I really do. Awesome. Great education. And um, like she said, a great platform to work for. And you served six years? Is that after that? I did. I did. Um, when I was uh, 28, um, my fifth year of, of my six that I ended up serving, uh, I found out that I had a, a generative disease, macular degeneration, at 28. And that um, as a civil engineer, you kind of need your eyes. That's kind of important. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I had to get an honorable discharge because my vision was going bad. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that halted my career, but it definitely put a damper on it. Right. So, uh, you know, got out and... Um, I went into the civilian sector and then had a friend that was in medical device sales, um, selling pacemakers and defibrillators and talked to me about it. I thought that was extremely interesting. And I couldn't believe that, you know, non-med students were actually selling these devices. But what they wanted is they wanted engineers at that time. And I fit the bill. So uh, I took them up on that. And uh, again, never looked back. It's been wonderful. Wow. Um, so I was, uh, I was looking through the, your bio, um, for those of you listening, Leo jumped at the Navy and, uh, his, his personal best was, is listed at 229, right? That's seven, seven, six, a couple different times. Uh, one at the NC2A finals in 1982, which was a, a rather, um, I want to say prestigious meet, but, uh, and, and it was obviously, but I was looking at the people that were there between uh, yourself, uh, Del Davis, who ended up jumping. I'm unmuting. Are you still there, Leo? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Sorry, yeah. man. It just faded out. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It faded out. We can, we can always fix it in editing. Um, okay. So anyway, I was talking about that meet and uh, the big meet at uh, Provo. Utah and um uh, it was great meet your your teammate was there Del Davis was there right jumped seven seven and uh, yeah he sure did Mel Adi was there from yeah. Tampa right Mel was there yeah well you jumped well at, and uh so a pretty famous meet was um I had a couple questions about it first of all we're, we're just talking about the marks but what was it like jumping at Provo because I heard that that was uh at altitude do you think that had anything to do with the the heights or was it just a Everybody was on uh, fire. Well, I mean, I think everybody was on fire, but, you know, I can't say that altitude didn't attribute to those hot marks, but I jumped just as high as sea level. So for me, right. Um, right. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it was just the altitude, but I mean, it was, it was a perfect day. There was no wind. Um, the contrast of the bar to the background was perfect. You, you know, you, you know, sometimes you, you jump some places and there might be a glare or something or um, wind being in a certain direction. I mean, the conditions were perfect. They were absolutely perfect. And um, it was the NCAAs. Everybody really wanted to, wanted to jump well. So 
I mean, it was just a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm. And I honestly believe at that time, I know for Milt, Adi, um, he was just not going to be denied. I, I had beat Milt three straight meets in NC in NCAAs from 81. I beat him indoors and outdoors. And then I beat him indoors in 82. And uh, when we came to outdoors, he was just a man on a mission. He was like, this guy is just not going to beat me again. <laughs> and I gave him all I had. Right. But, uh, yeah, he jumped 232, and uh, it was just phenomenal. It was a great jump on his part. And um, and then Dell came back. And what was interesting about Dell is he had a lot of misses. And I'm thinking, man, you know, yeah, I was I was one of those jumpers that didn't ha- usually didn't have a lot of misses. Right. But he had a lot of misses and still made 232, and uh, which was a PR for him. Yeah. I don't think he ever jumped higher. I think that that was his PR. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're going to have one, uh, it's one of the best times. Second best time is like Doug have a PR in the Olympic trials. Right. Several times. <laughs> so if you got to pick them, those are the meets to pick them in for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. The, um, so that, that meet was big. And again, we, we just threw out the, the Doug Nordquist name. So those of you that, uh, that are, um, are listening out there, uh, Doug Nordquist made the Olympic team in 84. And when I read on Leo's bio, I didn't even know this, Leo, I, I'm just going to tell the story. I, when I was, uh, that was sophomore year was for me was 1984. And, uh, as a freshman at UCLA, I regressed my freshman year. Didn't jump very well. I did the freshman 15 pounds. I think I went up from uh, 180 to 195. And both Dell Davis and Lee Balkin used to tell me that I was too heavy. And I was like, I didn't get what they meant. You know, so I'm like, in my mind, mm-hmm. I'm still a tall, skinny guy at, you know, 6'3", you know, 195. Whenever I looked in the mirror and someone said skinny, my brain always said weak. So I was <laughs> wanted to get stronger, you know, and, and the weight room was one of the great things that we had at UCLA. So anyway, I didn't jump really well that first year. And the second year, my goal had, you know, obviously been to get over seven feet since high school. And, uh, you know, when I did that, that year, uh, and then ended up jumping seven, two. And, and that is what Larson had told me, Bob Larson, the, the jump coach had said, if I jumped seven, two, that they would give me some scholarship money. So I was like, my, my goals were pretty much fulfilled, you know, and, and I didn't even, you know, if you'd have asked me before that season, what about the Olympic trials or something like that? I'd have just laughed at you. I'd have gone, what, what do you mean Olympic trials? You know, I jumped six, eight last year as a freshman. And so, like I said, seven feet and seven, two came, but all of a sudden, I think the trial hike that year was four and a quarter. I want to say. Yeah. It was 224. 224. 224 to make, so to make the trial. Just to make the trial, yeah. right? So um, I actually got told, you know, once pack tens were over and everything, he said, you know, you could still get a trial height. You should go find some meets to jump at. So I went down to San Diego, found a meet down there, and I remember getting in and uh, jogging around and you know stretching. And I saw Irv Cross from CBS Sports was down there, had a right. microphone on him, and he was talking. And then I saw you, and I heard somebody say, "That's Leo Williams from the Navy." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like I had no idea and I'm, I'm watching, you know, you run through and jump and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm not in this. <laughs> this is like way above my level. Right. So I don't, I don't remember even what I jumped, but I do remember seeing you there and, and going, Oh my gosh, that's what high jumpers should look like. So uh, that's, that's my, my story about that. But then um, that was the whole Olympic year and, and trying to get into the trials, you know, for the first time for me, uh, belated and, you know, wasn't really on my goal frame before that year, but, uh, in 88 was more so then. um, and I had here that in the Olympic trials, you ended up in fourth and I didn't know that. So you're the, uh, Olympic team alternate. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is that where you get to know Doug? Well, I knew Doug all through college. So Doug went to Washington state and, um, Obviously, I, I competed against him. Uh, I think the first time I remember seeing Doug was 80, might have been 82, 1982 indoors. And then, of course, he has the uh, the good, well, I'll just say his cousin is Dwight. So, obviously, <laughs> through Dwight, I knew Doug also. And right. so, that's kind of where, where you know, our friendship began. But... 
you know, Doug was a very good jumper. But Doug became a great jumper in 84. I mean, his ascent to greatness um, is really a remarkable, it's, it's a blessing. I mean, he, he, God said, you, my son, you will have this ability and it will come out now. He always had it, but, you know, you, you made mention of being a little bit bigger. Doug was kind of chunky in college. I mean, he was thick. But he was strong as an ox. I remember he used to fly at the bar and he would just load up and take off. I'm like, man, this guy has explosives. But he could never get the timing right. And when I saw him, because I was obviously on the East Coast, he was out here on the West Coast. When I saw him, I think at Pepsi, at your your home ground uh, there at UCLA in 84. Yeah. And he and Jake Jacoby were there. Uh, I don't know if Dwight jumped. He may have, but I remember those two. And I looked at Doug. It looked like Doug had lost 30 pounds. I mean, he was slim, trim. He was sinewy. I mean, he looked, you know, that look, he had that high jumper look. Yeah, he had the look. But I just said, I said, he's probably just not going to be able to put it together, though, when it comes time. You know, there's just some guys you just know when the big meat comes, they're they're probably not going to have their day that day. And the great thing about Doug was at the trials, it, it not only took seven, four and a quarter to get to the trials, just to qualify to, to even have the opportunity to compete. It took seven, four and a quarter for the most part to automatically qualify for the final. So you go to the trials, you get there, the qualifying round, you got two pits and they tell you pit A, pit B. Those that clear seven, four and a quarter will go to the final. Those that don't, we're taking the top 12 and ties. Right. Well, Doug only cleared 7-3 in the qualifying round. But as luck would have it, only 11 people automatically qualified at 7-4 and a quarter. Uh-huh. And he got pulled through because he had cleared the 7-3 to everyone else. The rest is history. You know, he got to the final and he PR'd. I want to say three times. I want to say seven, four and a half was a PR. Then seven, five and three quarters was a PR. And definitely seven, seven was a PR. Yeah. And made the Olympic team and never looked back from there. He never looked back from that. That door opened or that boat came in (laughs) and Doug was on it. He was driving. Um, And, you know, for the most part, Doug's jump of, of 236 to this day, his PR at seven, eight, three quarters to this day. Is one of the highest marks by any American ever. I mean, I think just you know, there's a couple of guys that go on 37, and you know, the Hollises and the Charles of the world. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, it's it's just a remarkable feat, and I'm just so proud of him because more important than his track accolades, Doug is just salt of the earth. He is well, one of my best friends, and has been for the last you know 35 years. Yeah. So uh, I love him dearly, and. Uh, uh, you know, if I had to lose out on making the Olympic team, I'm glad it happened with Dougie. Glad it happened with Dougie. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's that's rare for people to hear something like that, and and something that you know can mean so much, you know, to people. Um, so that's full. Yeah, when I start hearing about these meets, you know, with these the high flyers, you know, so. Um, we, we started talking about Doug, but then you ended up in fourth. So what was, uh, what did it take to get fourth? And then um, what were the odds of you actually getting to compete as being the alternate? Well, the reason why I got fourth was the thing that usually made me placed higher. I had one miss at seven, four and a half, and I had one miss at seven, five and And Milk Good was Wallace. He had no misses through seven, five, three quarters. And he got third, and I got fourth on last attempt. I mean, it looked great, like it was going to stay on, and at the last minute, it toppled off the the standards but you know that's that's high jumping man it's it's a game literally of centimeters literally of centimeters and um yeah so i 
I must say it wasn't a pleasant thing being in fourth place. But, you know, you have to look at things as half full, not half empty. And, you know, all my life from the time I was, well, from the time I can remember, I remember speaking of my dad, who was a state champion in Indiana, and in 1936, that 11th as a high school senior at the uh, 36 Olympic trials in Randall's Island. And so all my life I heard of, you know, the greatness of my dad and my uncles who were great sprinters. And so I knew about track and I, you know, I knew what kind of, kind of dedication it took. I just, it just manifested in me late in life. Well, late in my high school career. Right. But from the time I was 16 until up, up until that time, every day of my life was dedicated to making the Olympic team. That was it. Uh, I never, ever had any doubt that I had the talent to get to that level. I knew it was just a matter of working hard and maturing. Um, and so I continued to dedicate myself to that all the way through 84. And, and obviously I competed after that uh, in 88, 92. Uh, but 84 was really my window, if you want to call it as such. Yeah, and so uh, it it was tough, but you know, it's a lesson that uh, in life too, uh, you work hard for things, and sometimes it just doesn't work out like you planned it. But uh, you got to pick yourselves up, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, and get back after it. If, if your dream is still not fulfilled, try to make it again. Yeah, and uh, just never give up. Well, that's that's what life's about, man. That's what life's yeah. about. Great, great lessons in athletics for life. I've, I've heard that from so many and I've heard experience myself and hearing you talk about it, you know, doesn't really matter the sport, you know, football. I, I remember coaches telling us, you know, you're going to learn lessons here, you know, perseverance, hard work, sticking together, you know, you got each other's back. I mean, you just go on and on and, uh, you know, overcoming adversity, you know, you hear that all the time from your football coaches, you know, you get a crucial turnover at the wrong time. What are you going to do? You know, you just quit or do you, you keep fighting, you know? So yeah, the, no doubt. that's, that's um, amazing. And then I was going to ask you, Leo, um, uh, one of the, one of the things about um, the raise of the, the bar podcast here is that uh, my passion has been to, to learn how to get better at jumping now physically, you know, at, at age 57 now, I don't have it, but I'm, you know, training athletes and, uh, you know, always trying to find a better way, uh, to train, you know, and, and I was looking at your bio and it said that even though you had helped your, uh, teams win numerous titles, uh, those of you out there that, that think about high jumpers and, you know, people always say track and field and then, you know, high jumpers, really don't like to run and leo's bio said that even though he's never ever run more than 50 meters in his life i thought that was pretty funny but uh you know high jump training is is a lot different than than a lot of other events you know when you think track and field when i i'm sure leo's had this experience i've had it many times when people go oh you you were in track so you were a runner i'm like no <laughs> right <laughs> no, i was never right Right. You know, but I could always jump over stuff. So, yeah, two totally different things. Um, but what what would you say uh, to a beginning coach or a, a young athlete about, uh, you know, how how to train, how to, you know, how to get to that level? Well, I mean, you read a very good point um, earlier when you said that you felt like you had to be strong. I mean, that's never going to go out of style. Um I think one of my greatest advantages when I was in high school was the fact that I started lifting as part of formal lifting program. Um, my coach, from the time I was 13 until I actually retired, uh, and he ended up being the head coach at the Naval Academy for 35 years, Steve Cooksey. Steve started me on a very regimented, um, controlled lifting program when I was 16, when I was 13, I was just tall and lanky and I could just athletically get over a bar. So, you know, I'm a kid. I, I, I know nothing. I just like winning and I was winning. But then when my growth spurt um, stopped, you know, at a young age, and then all of a sudden it took more than just raw talent. Um, I was getting crushed my freshman and sophomore year and I hated that. I don't think anybody likes losing, but I really hated it. 
And so I went to Steve and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to start actually working out and, and, you know, try to make something of this. And he put me on a, on a weightlifting program. And I, I, to this day, I think that's made, made the difference. Uh, all natural, wasn't any steroids. That's, you know, such, such a cliche, but it's so true. There was, there was none of that. It was just get in the weight room. You've got to get your legs stronger, you got to get your core stronger. Um, because without that, nothing else matters. You, you can't get in the positions you need to unless you have the flexibility and strength to do it. So it all begins by being strong enough to uh, be able to accommodate that. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. That was a, the one thing I, I tell this, I've told this story a lot of times, and, and I know um, most people, you know, they think uh, – I, I have athletes all the time now that are, you know, they want to go to college and they want to go here and here. And they, they hear about this school and they go, oh, I'm going to go to this school. And I said, okay, well, I got one thing that I will say to you is that, first of all, I don't know if the school you're going to has a, a coach, you know, at all. Um, and just because you're a major university does not necessarily mean that there is a good coach there. <laughs> oh, that's very, very, very true. Very, 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 very true. Right. I'm not saying that these high power coaches can't coach, but I am saying a lot of them just get God given talent at their doorstep. Right. And those kids mature at the right time and they hit their marks at the right time. Uh, right. But that's very, very true. Yeah. And then, you know, and sometimes you get to the, to the place and there isn't a coach. Like, you know, I read that article that we were talking about in the, the 82 championships, the NC2As, you know, and talked about Bell mm-hmm. Davis and seven, seven and a quarter and, you know, they barely mentioned Adi because he's a Canadian. And so right. they're talking through and it was like Dell Davis and, and his coach, Bob Larson. Right. So I ended up going there <laughs> and walking on to the team. Um, and, you know, as a had, had gone to state my senior year and jumped two meters, 10 and, you know, finished <laughs> like guy, I think I finished ninth at the state meet. So, you know, at that time, nowadays, if I jumped six, 10 and three quarters, I could, I could get my ticket written anywhere. Like, Right. There's a lot right. now. So when we were back in those days, they're like, oh, yeah, you can walk on the team. And I was number I think I was number seven on the depth chart at six, ten and three quarters when I walked on. Wow. So, you know, I, I meet Bob Larson the first day. He walks up, sticks out his paw. And, and for those of you who don't know, Bob, Bob Larson is a great uh, head coach at UCLA. He was the head coach of the last uh, NC2A championship team they had in 87, which was the year after I graduated, which I'm still bitter about because I never registered. But, um, he, uh, he shakes my hand the first day because he's a distance guy, right? He shakes my hand. He goes, I'm the high jump coach. He goes, I just want to tell you right now. He goes, I don't know anything about the high jump. And I was looking at him and I'm already signed on. I'm ready to come to the school. This is one of our first meetings. And I'm like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean? So he was, he was the coach and he was saying straight up, he didn't know anything about it. So uh, I was going to be working with Dell and Lee. And uh, so we, we basically trained ourselves and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun doing it. And, and Dell and Lee, Lee has now been coaching, you know, uh, high jumpers for a long time at Pasadena city college, or I think he's at Pasadena. Um, anyway, uh, maybe it's Glendale. I can't remember, but anyway, he did, you know, coach after that, but we were just kids, you know, you're 22 years old. Oh yeah. And there's, yeah. you know, let's get in the weight room. And uh, you know, so that was the big thing that we got there, but you know, as far as um, you know, techniques and this and that, I mean, we, we did stupid overtraining, you know, we did way too much jumping probably most of the time. And, you know, just, so anyway, I, I tell that story to people, you know, of what's important is like, you know, if you can, you know, know who's running the show or make sure that they've got a, you know, a good program and that there's, there's someone there. Like, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get Ron Kamaka on here sometime soon. And I know Ron's at, uh, Mount Sac. And so these, these young kids are talking, you know, four-year colleges a lot of times. And I'm like, okay, but, uh, I, I do know Ron Kamaka and I know he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, right. You know, right. recommend that. Well, if, if you can, if you can give a good coach, not even a great coach, a good coach, um, an individual who, through his core, 
for her core, you know, they've got some strength. They get plenty of rest, plenty of rest. They um, have some flexibility. And their diet is not wacky. If you give a coach that, nine times out of ten, that that individual is going to be a very good athlete. A very good athlete. And if they have the own, then from there, the own personal desire to be good or great, I think that's a winning combination. And the other thing, Troy, which is so interesting, there's so much available to kids these days on their own. You understand what when I was growing up, the only guy that I worshipped in athletics, it wasn't a football player, it wasn't a basketball player, it wasn't a swimmer, it wasn't a lacrosse, it wasn't a soccer. It's only one guy. His name was Dwight Stones. Right. That was it. You got to remember when I was thirteen, or actually when I was twelve, the white won his bronze medal. As an 18-year-old freshman That's from right. UCLA in uh, Munich, when I was 16 and really kind of understood what was going on, he got his bronze medal in Montreal. And then a week later, set the world record and then came right back and broke his own world record right after that. Yeah. So to me, he was the model. But to get – I was in Indiana. He was global. I had to watch Wide World of Sports. There were no VCR, so if you didn't catch it, you didn't see it. <laughs> right. I had to read articles. Really, was only Sports Illustrated. Didn't know that much about track and field news, but eventually, you know, got access to that. Um, and then film was just next impossible. I mean, you know, I go to my my coach who was at Ball State University, and he'd have some eight millimeter stuff, but you couldn't slow it down. You couldn't go frame by frame. You'd burn <laughs> out. My point is, you know. The fact that we were even able to get any knowledge whatsoever was just absolutely incredible. But today, when you go to YouTube, you can get on your phone, you, you can you can get frame by frame, you can get workouts from here to there, you can you can see interviews where they talk to people, you can have access to folks on their Twitter. I mean, there's no excuse in a kid today if they want to put the time and effort into it to figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know. Again, when I when I finally figured it out, my sophomore year, between my sophomore and my junior year, I was in uh, summer school because I always took summer school, not because I had bad grades. I was a very good student, but I, I just wanted to keep my mind occupied and something to do in the summer. And I remember reading the because uh, we got a morning paper to evening paper. I, got, I was reading the morning paper before class, and I'm reading in the sports section. They say AAU. I guess it was sectional or something like that. Meet in such and such location. It couldn't have been more than five lines. And I saw that and I'm like, you know what? I've been working out for a couple of weeks. I'm going to try this. And I went for that that first meet. I went from 5'11 to 6'4. Wow. First meet. First meet. And so my point to all this is if you want to do it, Right, you can do it. There's no excuse. My parents weren't wealthy; they were both middle class parents that loved their son. Um, you know, I, my parents were the greatest. Um, academics was obviously very, very important to them, as it was to myself. And athletics was part of that, that and, you know, which was, uh, you know, just something we had in our family. But my point is, it's not about money a lot of times. Right. It's about desire and about effort. And if you have those, you can make it happen. You can make it happen. So that's the best advice I can give kids. Uh, I leave the coaching aspects to, like you said, Lee, Doug, uh, yourself, uh, because I think that what's important about coaching is, is you guys stay on top of it. What we did back in the 80s, although it worked for us then, you know what? It's probably not the best techniques. Things evolve. You know, it's, it's right. like anything else. You know, you got to be in touch with what the latest training techniques and different things to get the best out of them. But as far as overall things, that's never going to change. And as long as people 
understand what it takes um, in general, I think the specifics can be worked out. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that sometimes too. I, I think uh, a lot of times I'm getting a little bit too analytical um, just because it's kind of my nature. I was a you know kinesiology major and I, I really loved you know, biomechanics, especially. And, um, you know, when I, I tell people the story sometimes of, uh, watching, I, th- I don't remember when they first came out with computers, but I do remember, um, watching some special on, um, you know, it had to be CB, ABC sports, right. Something to do with the Olympics. And, and they showed a computer model that was a, basically a black screen. It looked like DOS. It was black screen, with a green stick figure and it's, mm-hmm. you know, basically a triangle for the torso, the triangle for the right. legs, and sticks right. like stick man. And they were analyzing somebody's um, uh, swinging technique, um, you know, like a, a volleyball outside hitter and right. watching this thing go in motion. And I was like, Oh wow, that's really cool. You know, you can analyze angles and everything. And, and uh, you know, when we first started doing gate analysis, when I was at UCLA, you would put a, a piece of white paper on the wall and throw a film up there and you'd start marking joint positions, you know, and then you mm-hmm. would the camera and watch the change of the center of mass and, you know, watch yes. the cycling while you're running and things like that. And, and like you said, yes. I can't even find Leo. I've been looking through my old stuff. Um, you were talking about, you know, jump video or, you know, finding anything to watch of anybody back then. Right. And super impossible. Like we're talking about. And, I don't even know if I have anything, you know, from, from my time at, at UCLA, I can't find any video of me anywhere, right. you know, and I, I'm just like, right, right. I'm wondering, no, why true. Did. you know, I can't even an- self-analyze and go, what, what did I do that was good enough to get me over, you know, 222. So right. <laughs> I, I, I can't demonstrate for the kids anymore. So I'm just like, you know, usually when I jump, it's, I set the bar at something easily makeable. <laughs> so well, you are you you are a braver man than I. <laughs> man. I would not even contemplate going over a bar at sixty one. Uh, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I look at some of the stuff now and I go, "There's just no excuse." And I mean, you know, there are jumpers now that jump obviously much higher than I did. But like you mentioned before. The sport itself, the depth, it's just it's non-existent. I mean, yeah. Listen to what I said. We had eleven guys over seven four and a quarter right. in a qualifying round. Right. Yeah. Qualifying round. And I I'll, I'll take you one even better. In eighty eight, the qualifying standard was seven five. Yep. And seven five was you needed to jump seven five to get into the final in eighty eight. Yeah. So the depth in the sport at that time was nothing less than yeah pure difficulty. I mean, you had to compete. I just don't see that now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I uh, I just had um, I've got I'm putting these podcasts. I'm calling it in the can. So, uh, you know, I'm calling up uh, gracious people like yourself and, and talking, you know, jumping with them. And I, I had a, a young man on who calls himself Jumpman Westner. Um, he's, he's jumped at Florida State uh, this year, his last year. He got hit by COVID last year and, you know, how the Olympics got set back and everything. But he was a 7'5 uh, jumper and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was telling me about the final. And so I, I looked at the finals results this year and – you know, yeah, it was, it wasn't like that. It it was, um, you know, there was some good marks, but, uh, you know, and the top end was very good, but, uh, you know, I think he came in, in uh, ninth or something like that at, at seven, three, you know, so. Well, the top end was the young man that made the team right from, uh, Louisiana state. I think yeah. he, I think it was, but he jumped what? Two thirty one. Yeah. He's, he's, that, that kid's the new real deal from what I've been looking at. I think. Well, he he is, and he will jump higher. But 231, 231 um, made the team. Doug jumped 231 in 84. 
Right. It's 2021. <laughs> right. yeah. I think too, uh, you catch my joke? Yeah. I, I don't know about you. I keep thinking that, um, you know, in the U.S., especially that we're, uh, we're losing a lot of our best talent to other sports when it comes to the high jump because there's, there's athletes making millions of dollars, you know, jumping up and tomahawking a basketball that, uh, you know. Well, I, I think that is true, but that's always been the case. I mean, the, the, the problem I see right now is that, as it has always been with track and field, outside of the games, right? I mean, yeah. take for instance, the trials were what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, a week if ago. You, if you were the layman, you say, you know, I kind of, you know, I remember track and field. I remember Stones and I remember, you know, Carl Lewis. And I remember these guys when I was back in the day. I just kind of want to watch it. You couldn't find it. Right. <laughs> and when you did, it was such limited coverage. You're like, oh, aren't there other events? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, there are only, well, you know this, Troy. There's really only two meets for a track athlete. And they only happen every four years. Yeah. Forget world championships. Forget NCAAs. Forget um, Pan American Games. There's two meets, man. Yeah. It's the Olympic trials and the Olympic Games. Yeah. And if we can't showcase our talent, how do we ever expect kids to want to gravitate toward it? I mean, really. And the other problem is that. Um, You've got to you, you you've got to have either an incredibly talented athlete in the limelight, like a Carl or or a, a Bolt, um, uh, or even Shakari. You know, even with her situation, you you've got to have someone that's stirring the pot to get the limelight to even get the youth interested in it. Otherwise, they're not going to know about it. Right. Yeah. Now, no offense to this high jump core. They're not household names. I don't know who these kids are. Why should they? And what that kid did, that the, the double, winning the uh, long jump and the high jump, phenomenal. And yeah. he's going to be great for many years. But if he doesn't get the publicity that's needed, I don't know how we can ever expect our youth, you know, a kid in Missouri or like myself, a kid in Indiana to even know about this kid. And if, if if the talent doesn't show and someone doesn't take an interest in our youth, you're right. It's just never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's really the tragedy in regards to our sport. Uh, yeah, well, you're, you're preaching to the choir there because, um, you know, the, the way that this sport is covered, you know, let's face it, the glory days of track and field, you know, from Jesse Owens winning four golds, you know, against the, the Hitler regime in Berlin, which is one of the great stories of all time, right? <laughs> one of, one Absolutely. Of the, one of the great Absolutely. ever since, uh, you know, the, the white uh, supremacist race was supposed to be dominating everything and, and Jesse Owens wins four golds. Um, you know, that was, it was part of our heritage. And I remember even still in the 70s, you know, uh, if you look back, we had the sprinters, we had the long jumpers, always had the relay. Um, you know, as you went through, the U.S. was was dominant in a lot of events. And uh, the decathlon, I think, was an American, you know, Absolutely. ever. You know, back in the day, it was like, you know, and the last American male that I remember winning the gold. Now, I could be wrong. It could have happened because I'm like everybody else. I haven't paid as much attention because it's it's just hard to find. But. I believe Bruce Jenner won it in 76 when I was a kid. And I remember seeing Bruce Jenner on the Wheaties box going, dude, that is, I want to be someone like that. You know, I want to have my face box and, and uh, all that. But uh, the coverage, like you said, even at that time was those two meets trials and e- even the trials are hard to find. So well, trials and you would, like I said, you, you would get ABC wide world of sports. And you, you, you know, I remember being able to watch uh, uh, US USSR meet 
that might have been late sixties, early seventies, but it is, it was just different. Um, and, and now with there's so much coverage of so many different things, um, track just takes a back seat. <clears throat> we just don't do it right. We don't do it right. I mean, and the coverage being, you know, the problem with all these different media outlets is just that there's too many. Yeah. And then you got to subscribe to them. You can't put track on a channel you got to subscribe to. I mean, that's just, it's just counterproductive. Right. Okay. You know, it's just counterproductive. Nobody's going to pay to see a sport where they don't even know the people who are in it. Right. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just, it's just really silly. It's really silly. But, um, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir with you on this whole thing. I just think it's unfortunate that it's such a fabulous sport. Like you said, it teaches so many great life lessons. Um, it, it builds up self-confidence in those that may not have had confidence prior to that. And you can show a level of achievement based upon your true athletic talent. I mean, in track, it, you're as good as you're good. That's <laughs> really what it is, right? Yeah. If you're faster, if you throw farther, if you jump higher, if you jump out further, it is, or throw something farther, it is a great sport. An absolute pure athletic endeavor. And luckily, that's never going to change. And how great is it that you can do this and you go all over the world and do it, and you can compete? Right. Unless you got you know, your, your body with you. I mean, the old saying was back in our day, as long as you got your passport and your, and your jump shoes, right. that's all you need. You can lose everything else in Europe. As long as you got those two things, you're all right. Yeah. That's, that's really the essence of us. That's another great, uh, whenever you, I hear you and, and Doug and anybody else that, that reached that level. You know, like I said, that was that was something that I aspired to and, you know, was unable to achieve. And, you know, I wanted to be, you know, go making those teams and, you know, going, getting to travel and, you know, seeing these different places. And, uh, you know, that's those opportunities are there. I, I just keep telling people here, I said, you know, for track and field, the way that it's it's covered um, my my senior year at UCLA, it was 86 and they had prime ticket. Was, was brand new that year and they uh they said hey you know we're gonna we're gonna film we're gonna show you guys on film at the uh the cal ucla meet and uh they're gonna film the whole thing right so we saw the camera crew setting up it's our home track and you know their cameras up in the corners and there's technicians there and, and we're all doing our workouts and you know we had this great dual meet against cal ended up beating them in the rain which was kind of their weather not ours and um you know, their, their uh, coach was quoted in the paper saying the next day, cause we, we swept the high jump with a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Brian Mergenthal, good golfer living out in the, uh, in Georgia and then Mike Powell. So Mike Powell, you know, the world record holder in the, in the long jump was a seven, one high jumper in high school, you know, an all CIF basketball player. And uh, so, you know, he could do anything. So the coaches threw him in there because they, they thought we might be able to sweep them, and we did. And their coach was quoted as saying, oh, you know, if, if anybody was going to sweep the high jump, we thought we would. <laughs> and so I remember that about that meet. But I also remember the fact that they, when they showed the coverage on Prime Ticket, all that we saw was every lap of the men's 10,000. Or the... <laughs> like, like 27 laps right of, so you're thinking to yourself okay you're telling me we couldn't have shown another event during this yeah anything right and, and the guys are talking trying to fill up time you know I, I i felt like i was watching a dodger game with vin scully and he's like you know this guy uh his grandmother you know she practices needlepoint on the firelight and uh, they're just like going what are they doing you know it's like right they didn't show right. one high jump one shot put one pole ball you know and you and i know any big track meet is like a three ring circus there's yes something going on yes. all the time so if you have yes. the cameras just set up the cameras and then you and I both being golf fans, I picture the guy in the golf truck, you know, at these big meets going, okay, 
hey, cut to cut to thirteen. This guy just hold out from the fringe. Right. Absolutely. Cut to seventeen. This guy just made a hole in one. You know, oh, the leader just made bogey, you know, and there's always something. So they're just cut, 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 cut in a football game just like that, right? You're right in different angles and it's like, but they don't expend any of that energy <laughs> in the track and field. It's just like, okay, let's watch them walk around in circles. So oh my gosh. So they have as as far as the money and all that goes, you brought up another good point because there's just you know, there's, there's so much coverage in some ways and, you know, your entertainment dollar is, is hard to earn, you know, because Americans, we have so much that we could watch, you know, that's very true. That's very true. Very true. Track and field's way down on that list. Right. Unfortunately for us as uh, as much as, as we like it. So, all right. I want to finish up here real quick, Leo. We didn't talk about anything. So, uh, about what's going on now. Um, you're still working now. This is a company that you started on your own. I did. I started with a friend of mine. No, and a friend of mine who's actually a, a West Point graduate, Mark House. Great guy. Um, graduated from uh, West Point um, in '89, and uh, we're best of friends. And we started this company together um, back in 2011. Uh, we both had medical device sales experience, so we were very familiar with what goes on in hospitals. And um, most people don't know, but hospitals run um, an undercurrent of infection, and it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, you know, this is the sickest of the sickest people are there, right? And when these infect these infections are caused by different things, usually from the environment. And so we found the technology that can disinfect the environment within minutes and we implemented that into a service and our company is called clean sweep group incorporated and we disinfect hospitals cruise ships homes uh, commercial buildings manufacturing plants and we use uv light to do it so yeah that's our company and it's been great awesome and then uh, are you married leo wife kids no no, I, I, I'm uh, divorced and I have a wonderful son who's uh, 16 and uh, he's, uh, he's just the, the light of my life and um, just a great kid. Awesome. Awesome. And these are little things about Leo that I didn't know. So I'm asking for you, for you guys out there, but me also. <laughs> so um, and then when did the love affair with golf start? Oh, whew probably about 30 years ago you know you just kind of putts around with it. and then as you get older you're like hey man I kind of like this sport uh but you know golf like track requires practice and time and as an adult I wouldn't necessarily I have a lot of either one of those so uh you know it's one of those things where you just have to do the best you can when you can do it I'll tell you what yeah, well, I think the, one of the last times I remember uh, seeing you and Doug for the, the first time in a while for either of you, I think I was showing up at some golf course somewhere and you guys were both walking out with your bags. And I was like, hey, what's going on with you guys? Oh, we're just <laughs> golfing in some, some scramble tournament or something like that. It's like, all right, these guys are golfers. I, I think there's a um, – I tell my kids there's a, a tremendous crossover between uh, – swinging a golf club and, and the high jump. Cause I, I just find so many parallels. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it's like, um, Oh, it's true. You know, it's from uh, doing walkthroughs and things like that. You know, I, I tell my kid, I'm like, Hey, if you can't do it slow, you're not going to be able to do it fast. You know, whatever that's right. that we're working on, you know? So that's one thing. And you, and then, you can't do it slow enough <laughs> to get to get the technique. Right. You know? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Well, listen, Leo, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I'm sure we could keep talking, but uh, you know, you're a busy man. You've got your, your business to, to get back to. You told me you had a working day. Um, I'm coming to you on the podcast from Mexico in Cabo where my wife and I are taking a, a little. Oh, wonderful. Vacation. What, uh, what resort are you guys at? Uh, we are at the, uh, Diamante. Diamante. Ah, so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Tiger Woods course. And uh, yes. Oh, that's a wonderful resort. So you guys are down there for how long? 
Uh, this is the middle of our second week, so we're going to wrap oh, it up. Oh, well, enjoy, man. Yeah, you're on the Pacific side. That's Oh, it's great over there. That's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful we're getting uh, spot. more more acquainted with this and uh we're we're looking forward to coming back in the future and playing more rounds of golf it, it continues to develop they're talking about putting in another course so it's all all something to look forward to super super awesome well, well Troy, hey, thank you so much for this opportunity it was wonderful speaking with you and um and reminiscing love it right, hey leo i really appreciate it man have a good one god bless we'll talk to you soon All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Bye. Bye.